0: From Interfaith Alliance, this is State of Belief Radio. I am Alliance President Emeritus, Rabbi Jack Moline in Washington, D.C., filling in this week for your host, Reverend Welton Gaddy.
1: I've only been president for several months, but
0: I think this will go down for me. It's one of the greatest honors. I will have had as president, not because I did it, you did it. June 19th, the anniversary of the last state enacting Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation has been celebrated by African-Americans and abolitionists since the late 1800s. But it took until 2021 for Juneteenth to become a federal holiday in the hands of President Joe Biden. Later in the hour, I'll talk with Tiana Webb, Director of Missions and Programs at the Samuel DeWitt Proctor
1: Conference. So if the Bible declares homosexual practice to be evil, then that means it can't be a part of God's definition of love. So if two people love each other, why can't they be together? Because it's not God-defining love. If we love individuals, we're going to speak the truth. The sweeping impact of the relentless attacks
0: on the LGBTQI plus Americans' rights and identities cannot be overstated. In state after state, bills are being rushed through Republican-controlled legislatures that pander to the political religious right and its unquestionable thirst for playing politics with queer lives, especially young queer lives. Interfaith Alliance and its partners are pushing back with a national campaign you've heard about before on this show called Faith for Pride. And this week, we'll highlight another one of those partner organizations, Catholics for choice.
2: You know, it's a very urgent time in our in our culture here as we try to defend democracy and build a democracy that's never been but yet can be.
0: Carrying on a not quite deliberate tradition here at State of Belief, I find myself hosting the program this week, even as my tenure as president of Interfaith Alliance comes to a close. Stepping up as interim president is the Reverend Dr. Catherine Rhodes Henderson who previously led Auburn Seminary for over a decade. And she'll join me for a conversation about this moment of transition.
1: I'm Ray Kirstein at the intersection of religion, government, and ministry. Bishop Robert McManus of Worcester, Massachusetts, has issued a decree stating that the Nativity School of Worcester may no longer call itself Catholic because it flies a pride flag and a Black Lives Matter flag. Most of the school's student body are young men of color. The decree states, quote, Mass, sacraments, and sacramentals are no longer permitted to be celebrated on Nativity School premises or be sponsored by Nativity School in any church building or chapel within the Diocese of Worcester. Hmm. Meanwhile, a new Gallup poll shows an unprecedented drop in America's faith in God. As recently as 2017, 87% said, I believe. Today, that number, which always stayed above 90% since 1944, shows only 81% of Americans saying amen. And from the Washington Post, extremism researchers have long warned of an escalating risk as hard-right Republicans and militant groups portray LGBTQ people as groomers targeting children, along with other baseless smears. Now, statistics show that rhetoric bearing bloody fruit. A surge in attacks on LGBTQI events and institutions nationwide has cast fear over June pride celebrations in many American cities. Still, even as law enforcement foiled a large planned attack on a pride event in northern Idaho, right-wing politicians and preachers keep openly calling for the killing of LGBTQ people, apparently doing so with impunity.
0: Our program airs every weekend on radio stations nationwide and is available as a podcast on iTunes and other leading podcast platforms. I urge you to subscribe to it today. State of Belief Radio is made possible in great part by the generous support of our listeners. If you've made a donation this week, please let me say a heartfelt thank you. If you haven't pitched in yet, information on how you can keep this show on the air is available at stateofbelief.com. That's stateofbelief.com and now to our first guest. Texas was the last state to finally implement the Emancipation Proclamation on June 19, 1865. That date has been prominent in African American culture ever since and finally became a federal holiday in 2020. Observed as Juneteenth, it is not only a cause for celebration, but also a critical reminder of humanity's capacity for inhumanity as well as of how far there is still to go toward true equality and justice. An all-star observance of Juneteenth is happening in New York, Sunday, June 19th. And joining me now is Tiana Webb, Director of Missions and Programs at the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Conference, which is co-sponsoring the celebration. Tiana, welcome to State of Belief Radio.
3: Thank you. Thank you so much. So glad to be here.
0: You know, it may seem self-explanatory that Juneteenth is a significant occasion, but we've all learned that assumptions, especially about the receding past, are never a good idea. So I wonder if I could have you start with some words about this holiday historically.
3: For sure, sure. I really appreciate your intro. And definitely uh, what we know is, and historically, when the Emancipation Proclamation was issued in 1863, we all weren't free uh, for a few um, more years. So in 1865, on June 19th, we celebrate Juneteenth Day as America's true Independence Day, as our Freedom Day, Liberation Day, Emancipation Day, our Jubilee Day, um, the day where the last enslaved uh, got word of their freedom. And so we really, we really... Take this holiday as an important day for our culture. Looking back to our Afrocentric roots, we know that all of all of us are not free if one of us is in bondage. So we take seriously this this concept of Ubuntu: uh, "I am because you are." Um, we take seriously the concept that we are all um, caught up in this inescapable network of mutuality, for, as Dr. King reminded us, and that we. I can celebrate freedom truly on Juneteenth when everyone, every enslaved person, um, was allowed to know the the information about um, freedom. So we celebrate this day. It's it's a day of hope. It's a day of remembrance. It's a day where we can honor our endurance in this country. It's a day where we come together. Um, It's a day where we are truly united in community. So we are looking forward um, to being at Carnegie Hall on Sunday at 7 p.m. for this beautiful program that we have planned. Uh, It will be live streamed, so folks can go online and watch it if you're not in the New York area. Uh, And we just look forward to a day of celebration.
0: That sounds great. And I wonder if you would also say a few words about Samuel DeWitt Proctor. You know, his predecessors at the Abyssinian Baptist Church in Harlem, Adam Clayton Powell, and his successor, Calvin Butts, are, are pretty much household names for much of America. But his influence was profound at a critical juncture in US history. Would you would you talk about Reverend Proctor a little bit?
3: For sure. So our namesake, Reverend Dr. Samuel DeWitt Proctor was a university president. He worked at Virginia Union. Um, He was also, a lot of folks don't know, one of the first to start Peace Corps in Nigeria. Um, He was deeply involved in the civil rights movement. He was a mentor to Dr. King. Uh, He was a teacher. And if you were to ask Reverend Proctor, um, who were his most challenging students, he would have told you, uh, Reverend Dr. Jeremiah Wright and Reverend Dr. Uh, Jesse Jackson. And so the founder <laughs> of this organization, Reverend Dr. Jeremiah Wright, was so influenced by the teaching, um, the life, the legacy, the the mission, um, the encouragement by Dr. Proctor that he wanted to start this organization. So he got together with Dr. Iva Carruthers, Dr. Frederick Haynes, and so they really wanted to inspire um, African-American clergy and lay leaders, the next generation of those working for social justice, which was right in line with Dr. Proctor's legacy. He worked with the next generation of those working for social justice on the front lines. So this organization tries to stand true to his legacy. Um, we, uh, we work with churches all over the country um, and we help them sustain and mobilize and address critical issues of human and social justice as Dr. Proctor did within local, national and global communities. We are present at the United Nations as well. Um, so in the spirit and the legacy of Dr. Proctor and all that he worked all the different arenas that he worked in, we work with the community, the church, and the academy. Um, and we move forward in our mission. We move forward with this work um, through education, advocacy, and activism. So Dr. Proctor was a huge influence to so many. And we, at our annual convening, get so many of his prior students, so many people who knew him and, and loved him and knew his work. Um, who continue on in the spirit of social justice and pro- the prophetic tradition of the Am- African-American church.
0: Wonderful. Thank you for that. Uh, so now let's, let's get to some of the issues here. There's, there's a lot of chatter on the political right these days about states' rights, when that serves their purpose, of course. What warning does the history of Juneteenth give us about leaving critical rights to individual states.
3: We are going into this Juneteenth holiday right off the heels of remembering what happened at Mother Emanuel seven years ago. So we will be there in South Carolina on June 17th to remember the nine who were killed um, by a self proclaimed white supremacist. Um, and we will remember the nine folks there who were studying the parable of the sower that evening that they were murdered. And so I think that that really speaks to the what what we're hoping to get people to realize in this nation is that the soil, who are we? Who are we called to become? What is, um, what is God saying to America in this moment about our spiritual dilemma? Um, that is what we are hoping to get people to kind of plug into as we are going into Juneteenth. And I think that speaks to what we hope that this holiday really allows people to look back on and remember. So in the, in, in the spirit of coming together in unity, uh, we will be having a national Bible study that reminds us of the time we are in, that reminds us of the parable of the sower, that reminds us of how we really need to collectively work together for the good of uh, humanity in our country if we are to become the democracy that we proclaim to be.
0: So I'm going to be 70 this summer and people of my generation and even a little older, uh, though we might not have been as aware of Juneteenth uh, unless we were part of the Black community, we understand what it stands for. What is the meaning of Juneteenth to a new generation of African-Americans?
3: I think that's a great question. Um, you know, as a millennial myself, uh, I, I can appreciate this day as a celebration of our endurance. And as, as I am being challenged to continue to hold on to the good, right, as we are continually seeing racist, um, gun violence in our country, as we continue to see the wealth disparity grow, as we continue to see health disparity, even as we are coming out of COVID-19 and African-American communities were were decimated by the pandemic in ways in which we are still trying to understand. I mean, as, as we are still trying to see the aftermath of Trump in not even aftermath because it's still happening, still alive, his influence is still alive and well, This holiday just allows me to stop and celebrate our endurance in this country as a people and to continue to have hope that as we celebrated freedom back then in 1965, we can still, there's still something to celebrate today and there's still something better to come. And just like, you know, our ancestors worked to make it better for them, um, I believe that this generation, this next generation can look at this holiday as um, a foundation which we can build on to keep moving into the future. I mean, as we, as we continue to, to try to make this country into something that is uh, suitable for us and, and for our children, um, I believe that, that this holiday is just a moment for us to kind of remember and celebrate and uh, believe something better is possible.
0: Well, Juneteenth has been acknowledged, uh, especially in the black community, but in in general for a long time. Why is it important that President Biden has made it at long last an official federal holiday?
3: I think that speaks to the collectivity of um, of us all recognizing the importance of the day. I mean a uh, similar to you know the fight to make Dr. King Day a national holiday his uh, his birthday, I think this really helps us to feel a part of the fabric of the American culture and it really helps us feel um, you know, that we're all coming together. This The, the theme of Juneteenth this year that we're, we're going with is All-American Freedom Day, reimagining together. Only together are we free, reimagining togetherness. And so making it a federal holiday in which, you know, folks get the day off, folks who never heard of Juneteenth are not really familiar. Um, it's now on their radar. Uh, folks are being able to recognize it in a way that maybe they haven't before. Um, it, it, it brings forth a spirit of togetherness, a spirit of we recognize you, we see you. This is an important day for the country, not just for Black folks. Um, and, and it's just important as in an affirmation of relationship and uh, being seen.
0: It's a terrific answer. Thank you. The Samuel DeWitt Proctor Conference is co-sponsoring this all-star celebration at Carnegie Hall this weekend. The event is sold out, so our listeners in New York are not going to just be able to pop down there and get a ticket, but I understand that they can see it online. I want you to tell them how they can do that and what people will see when they log in on Sunday night.
3: For sure, sure. So folks can go to JuneteenthUS.info. If you go to that website, On Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, they will be live streaming the program. So we have um, an amazing program of celebration, of music, of dance. You will hear from Dr. James Forbes, who will lead the celebration in recognition of this important historical day. And to acknowledge the long road ahead, um, you will hear from our honorees, educator, poet Sonia Sanchez and community activist Opal Lee. Um, You will hear from versatile music. I mean, we have Hezekiah Walker, who is a a, a gospel singer of the Love Fellowship Choir. We have the Ebony Ecumenical Ensemble. Uh, We have the New Jersey Youth Symphony with us. So it'll just be a beautiful uh, celebration, music, dancing, high-spirited evening of enjoyment. And so I I hope that you all can tune in online. And we also will be streaming it from the Proctor Conference Facebook page. So if you are on Facebook, that is another way for you to view the program.
0: That sounds terrific. And I hope everyone will take some time to to tune in. Uh, We all have the day off on Monday, thanks to the federal government. But as we all know from Dr. King, uh, a day off is not the same as a day on, and we need to uh, to be engaged in this. Tiana, how can everyone keep informed about the work of the Proctor Conference and support the work that you're doing?
3: Yeah, so we have a website, uh, svpconference.info. Um, that folks can find more information there about how to support, about what's going on. You can sign up for our weekly newsletters where we are sharing information, the latest information about what we are up to at the Proctor Conference. Again, we are on Facebook, Proctor Conference. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. um, And we really hope to stay connected on those social media um, platforms. But if you are able to, please go to sdpconference.info. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter so we can make sure that you are in conversation with us about our most um, up-to-date, you know, events and things that we will be doing.
0: Tiana Webb is Director of Missions and Programs at the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Conference. Tiana, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today on State of Belief Radio.
3: Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: We're just getting started with this week's show. Up next, Faith for Pride at Catholics for Choice. And later, the Reverend Dr. Katherine Henderson. You're listening to State of Belief Radio, brought to you by Interfaith Alliance. Tinsley Murphy is federal policy associate at Catholics for Choice, where Kate Hoding is writer and managing editor. The organization is one of many faith-oriented groups that have joined with Faith for Pride campaign during the month of June. Kate and Tinsley, welcome to State of Belief Radio.
4: Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. We're very excited to be here.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. So, The nation is still at a crisis moment for reproductive rights. Your hands are more than full. Still Catholics for Choice has committed to being part of the Faith for Pride campaign, which says a lot about how important this moment is for standing with our LGBTQI plus siblings. Can you talk about that for a second?
4: Yes. So this is Tinsley speaking. Um, We... Decided that we are going to start focusing on some things outside of the main scope of our sun, solar system, sun around abortion, um, because everything is interconnected, and LGBTQIA plus rights are abortion rights, are reproductive rights, and it's really important, especially as a religious organization, that we are out here. Um, claiming and supporting our LGBTQ plus us community in um, their reproductive rights, as well as everybody's right to an abortion, because not just women get abortion, a wide spectrum of people get abortions.
0: Thanks, Tinsley. That was a great answer. Uh, how is Catholics for Choice participating in Faith for Pride this year?
4: So we have joined a interfaith coalition and within that coalition, I um, partnered with Alliance for Justice, Kesha Anti-Defamation League and Religious Action Center for Reform Judaism to create a website, Faith for Pride website that's where we have for the month of June, um, all these pride celebrations that are happening that are also intersecting with um, faith. So it's kind of like a pride Shabbat um, modeled off of that. But we wanted to, have a resource for anybody who um, is an ally or an LGBTQIA person and a person of faith where they can go and find a community to be in and celebrate their faith and celebrate their pride and just enjoy a good time because religious people are progressive. They do get abortions. They do support abortions um, and they also support queer people. So it's really important that we created this website.
0: Great. Well, I know we at Interfaith Alliance really appreciate your participation. I, I think it is powerful for a lot of LGBTQI plus individuals to see an overtly Roman Catholic group stand with them. Talk about the responses you get when you step into this fraught space of queer rights.
5: You know, this is Kate speaking, and as a queer person who works with Catholics for Choice, this is one of my favorite parts about the job, is just when we are out at protests or at speaking events, and I get to talk to queer Catholics whose eyes just light up just knowing that we exist. Um, We're a lesbian-led organization, a huge number of our staff are queer, and so to us, being being Catholic, being people of faith, and and being part of the LGBTQIA plus community, those things are one in the same. Um, We are called as people of faith to love our neighbors and to love ourselves because we are made in God's image. And so I think that um, seeing this union between faith, between reproductive rights, and between queer rights has been personally and spiritually, so helpful to myself and to all the people who follow us.
0: So I'm obviously, as a rabbi, part of the Jewish community, and I'm aware that the non-hierarchical nature of uh, Jewish community allows for a great deal of flexibility in creating things like Pride Shabbat. But the Roman Catholic Church is very hierarchical. What's the nature of the relationship between Catholics for Choice and the Mother Church?
5: we are pro-choice, not in spite of our faith, but because of our faith. I think a lot of people think that because we support abortion rights, because we support queer people, we must be throwing away some part of Catholicism. But that's not the case at all. It is the the, the teachings of Catholicism that guide us to support human dignity and make sure that people have their uh, ability to live lives and and be in happy and healthy communities. Um, In Catholic, Catholic social justice, we have to honor the call to family, community, and participation. And to us, that means that we need to respect all families of all shapes and sizes, beautiful queer families, chosen families, whatever families may look like. And so although Catholicism has a reputation as a very hierarchical tradition, we want to challenge folks to really get outside of those boxes. If we look um, at, at what Catholics believe and we look at how many Catholics are identify as queer in the United States, we'll see that the church is filled with queer people. The church is run in many ways by women. And so we want to get away from emphasizing this tension between, between what the official teachings of the church might say, and instead look at what the people, the body of believers actually subscribe to.
0: So I think this is an important moment for cooperation among progressive groups, in particular for bringing in people of faith who see a call for inclusion and justice in the way they live out their beliefs. A number of LGBT groups are at the forefront of defending reproductive rights in the current crisis we face. Would you talk about what those alliances are like in practice for Catholics for Choice?
4: Consistently speaking. So, those alliances really are how we get things done. We need to be banded together right now because, you know, we're as an abortion rights organization. Um, again, abortion and reproductive rights are LGBTQIA rights. And if we band together and fight against this central force that is bringing down all this oppression on us from the Supreme Court, from the executive branch to our legislative branch in a federal way, it really helps us to actually get things done. Um, And the only way to, you know, achieve our goals is to work together because all of these things impact us all. Um, And we, you know, as a religious organization, we also believe in religious freedom. And it's also about uh, freedom from religion. And we want to make sure that everybody is able to live their best lives and have the access to the civil liberties that they have. Um, to be able to make the decisions and live their best full lives that they can.
0: So is is there a downside to this? Are there are there potential supporters or current supporters who fall away when you need to take positions on an agenda that is more expansive than the one they signed on for?
5: Yeah, this is Kate speaking and I think one answer to this is to actually look at statistics, Um, you might think based on the way that media portrays most religious people that religious people are uniformly against queer folks. But even if we look at Catholics, 68% of Catholics oppose laws that allow small businesses to turn away queer customers. And so it seems sometimes like you might be sacrificing something to commit to supporting queer rights. But really religious folks are much, much, much more in favor of of freedom for people than you might think at first. In addition, you know, as a reproductive rights organization, we are never going to sacrifice our commitments to racial justice or to to LGBTQIA plus people just in order to to capture some pers- some hypothetical person who might be turned off by our commitment human dignity. At the end of the day, we believe that if your feminism is not uh, trans inclusive and, and queer rights focused, then it is not really feminism. Um, and so we feel very confident that we have chosen to really take a, a approach that looks at the health of, of a full human person. Um, and that includes a fully queer person too.
4: And also, this is Tinsley just adding, you know, it's really important that we be bold in this moment on these issues because we have the fall of row coming, you know, mere days away. States are enacting anti-trans legislation, um, you know, criminalizing children for getting gender-affirming care. And so when we think about supporters, for every supporter we might lose because we are standing firm on these Um, inclusive ways in which we want to advocate, you know, for racial justice, LGBTQ justice, all these things, we're going to gain at least five more supporters from that one we lost. You
0: know, a lot of times the sense of urgency we see among progressives, once there are concrete challenges to steps forward, comes too late to stop the erosion of progress. Do you have a message for activists and supporters about learning the lesson that vigilance is always essential?
4: Tinsley speaking, Um, I think it's important for everybody who wants to be active in the movement to find a way that they feel comfortable in a way that meets their boundaries and to speak up um, in any way they can. That doesn't mean showing up to a protest, but just even reading a book, watching a documentary, taking that online action, following the organizations that you know lead this work on social media and it's important that also us as activists that we also make sure that we meet people at their boundaries and where they can fit in because again we want to be all inclusive in all of this movement and i think that when we talk about the barriers that we face the Barriers are put in place to make us think that the erosion has gone too far. We can't do anything. So as long as we're meeting everybody where they need to be in the moment and the boundaries that they have set to be included, then I think that we can really start to rebuild some of the, the erosion that has washed away.
0: Kate, what about you? What's your message?
5: I love how Tinsley has pointed to the fact that there are more ways than just going in the street and protesting to advocate for queer rights. And I think that if we look to our community and our loved ones, and we really have Heart-centered conversations about why, if you are a person of faith and you support um, queer rights, why do you support queer rights? I think so many of these um, essential conversations happen around the dinner table. It's constant, ongoing work, and so we don't always need to be ready to go do some some wild protest at the drop of a hat. But just working in those in the daily conversations and and changing the way you move through the world as a person of faith.
0: So before we let you go, how can our listeners keep up with the work of Catholics for Choice, and how can they support that work?
4: Tinsley speaking, uh, well, you can definitely check out the Faith for Pride website that we created, um, and then also check out our website, uh, catholicsforchoice.org. We have action alerts that you can take. We, right now, we have an action alert for the Equality Act. Uh, but we have other ones too. We have resources, um, great resources to read and you can follow us on social media. I believe it's at Um, Do you have anything you want to add, Kate?
5: Yeah, all of our social handles are at catholic For choice That's one Catholic and the number four. And we are also launching a new resource called The Advocates Bible, a guide for pro-choice Catholics and their co-conspirators. And so that will be up on our soon-to-be-announced online store. So make sure you're on our email list so you can be the first to
2: know.
0: Wonderful. Tinsley Murphy is Federal Policy Associate at Catholics for Choice, where Kate Hoding is Writer and Managing Editor Catholics for Choice is partnering with Interfaith Alliance and a number of other leading organizations to support Faith for Pride during June, traditionally celebrated as Pride Month. Kate and Tinsley, thank you so much for both being with us today on State of Belief Radio.
5: Thank you for having us. It was such a joy to have this conversation.
4: Yeah, thank you so much for having us. We were really excited to talk about the work we do.
0: I'm Jack Moline, filling in this week for your host, Welton Gaddy. Late last year, the Reverend Dr. Catherine Henderson stepped down as president of Auburn Seminary after 12 years at the helm of an influential, inspired institution for education and activism in a progressive, multi-faith environment. Holding the title of President Emeritus since then, this week she takes on a new challenge, that of interim president here at Interfaith Alliance. For that, I, for one, am doubly grateful, since it not only leaves the organization I've been privileged to lead for the past seven years in most capable hands, but ensures that I'm able to actually move into a long-planned retirement. In 2015, Welton passed the torch of leadership at Interfaith Alliance to me here on State of Belief, and so I'm happy to be able to do that today as Katherine Henderson joins me from New York. Catherine, welcome back to State of Belief Radio.
2: Jack, it's great to be here with you. Uh, Thanks so much for the invitation.
0: You know, it's barely been nine months since you stepped back from the grueling day-to-day role of president at Auburn. How do we get you back into an active leadership role so quickly?
2: Um, Well, I uh, have enjoyed a different pace uh, over the last few months, and um, I think that Um, I'm really compelled by the work of Interfaith Alliance um, and the focus on um, religious freedom that is uh, so much at stake and related to so many pressing issues of our time. So uh, it's really an honor to be here and um, to uh, accept the baton from you. Um, I think these are you know, critical moments in the life of institutions, moments of transition, and it's yep. really important to um, to to do these transitions gracefully. Um, also, you know, it's a very urgent time in our in our culture here. So as we as as we try to defend d- democracy and build um, a democracy that's never been but yet can be,
0: we're going to look forward again in a second. But let's. Let's look back for a sec. For folks to get to know you just a little bit, let me ask you about your time at Auburn. What was the overarching theme of the many diverse programs that you oversaw and often initiated?
2: So the the work that um, we had been doing, um, multi-faith work, uh, educational work, for about a decade. And when I became president, the question um the driving question in my mind and for the board and staff became um, the sort of so what of multi-faith engagement um and for us it became the answer became to do the work of justice in other words how are we going to work together as christians do as muslims six buddhists and people of of no faith but moral conviction to heal and repair the world together um because it's the, the task is too great for any one group to do alone, and so, um, so it was pivoting a uh, over two hundred year old institution um, in that direction. And I, I would say the overarching theme was uh, helping to build a multiracial, multi faith uh, world where all belong. So that that was our work. A little thing like our, that.
0: Our, <laughs> uh, a small thing, just. Uh, grabbing the end of the moral arc of justice and bending it the right way. Are there one or two successes that you look back on today with particular pride or satisfaction?
2: Um, one of the, and it's uh, not unrelated actually to, um, it's an image that fits well, I think, not only with Auburn's work, but but Interfaith Alliance. Um, we had a, uh, An opportunity to participate with many others in the climate change march in uh, New York City. And Auburn, with others, built an ark, literally a physical wooden ark, um, on which rode uh, many folks of many different religious traditions. And before we started, the Muslim group right next to the ark. Uh, what, uh, were getting ready to pray. And so they put their prayer rugs right on the New York City street there. And those of us um, from the Ark and from other faith traditions and no faith tradition uh, surrounded the, um, the, the Muslim folks who were at prayer. And it was, it was sort of a um, image or a symbol of a sort of a circle of safety and respect um, later on that day, uh, the chaplain from Harvard, who represented people of no religious tradition, um, uh, also got on the ark and he had a sign that he put down on the side that said, um, "An atheist on the ark and so and people people loved that as we drove by. So I think that um, that physical image stays in my mind. Um, as and we called it an ethical spectacle at the time, but that physical <laughs> image is very powerful as we try to um, protect um, the right of people to, who who are different to to believe and to to worship and to pray, uh, to be in the streets and how we do that together. That was a visual image. Um, there there are many other examples of of the work that we did. Um,
0: it's terrific. It's. It's terrific, I promise not to consider this uh the answer to the next question any kind of a referendum on my tenure but uh after this first week, what success do you hope to achieve leading interfaith alliance?
2: I think that uh first first of all, I've been very impressed with the staff of Interfaith Alliance that you have assembled, and their dedication um, they are lively and engaging and doing really, really important work. And I think that as we see um, the uh, Supreme Court um, taking up many matters, including, you know, reproductive justice and and others, that um, it will be very important um, for those matters. And as we approach midterm elections to to be out there in public with others, Making a stand uh, for religious freedom and uh, for the for the rights, particularly of those who are marginalized, so this is a critical moment, um, and I'm sure I'll happily happily pass the baton to the permanent leader um, for interfaith Alliance, but we hope that this will be a very productive time together.
0: Uh- you know, even today, we're we're seeing imbalances along gender lines when it comes to leadership positions in many progressive organizations. A few years ago, you published a book that was titled God's Troublemakers, How Women of Faith Are Changing the World. Would you describe that image, God's Troublemakers? And is there a way to live into that?
2: Um, yes. Well, I think that, um, that John Lewis uh, picked up the idea of good trouble, making good trouble uh, and and uh, led led the way in that, too. Um, the, the idea of uh, troublemakers uh, came to me, you know, through that spiritual uh, wait in the water, wait in the water, children, wait in the water. God's going to trouble the waters. And the idea is, is that God sometimes needs uh, help troubling the waters. And that's our work to do. You have to stir things up. You have to disrupt the status quo to make change, um, which is something that I learned early on uh, as a child when I was uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, growing up, and um, and marched with my parents as a, as a child in civil rights marches, and then ended up in a black church, you know, singing together with others. And so this um, this kind of Good troublemaking is a part of my DNA and uh, and it compels me to (laughs) join my efforts with others to try to 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 keep doing that. And um, and we can't afford to sit back these days and um, and not all of us, you know, commit ourselves to the work of love and justice.
0: What would you like to see happen in order to foster greater diversity in the makeup of the various groups and organizations that are actually working for diversity in the name of religious values. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. I think that um, this is a moment um, for organizations like Interfaith Alliance and um, all sorts of partners to, uh, to reflect in their leadership, both in terms of staff and boards um, Partners, uh, the diversity that we're, uh, that we're trying to build through all of the work that we're doing and, and foster, and so that would be religious diversity. it would be racial and ethnic diversity, um, age diversity, and you know, what we know is that um, greater diversity on boards and in other spaces uh, creates stronger institutions. And so we need that. We need each other now. And um I think that uh, for some of us who are of a more uh seasoned generation like you and I, Jack, um it's very exciting to see young leaders uh taking responsibility and coming to the fore. So, you know, I've always really enjoyed mentoring and um and supporting the leadership of, of young leaders and to and and I am hoping to do that with my uh, tenure at at uh, Interfaith Alliance and uh, and beyond.
0: What what do you see as the greatest challenges that are facing social justice minded, religious freedom oriented activists and organizations today?
2: Yeah. I think that um, the the rise of white Christian nationalism, um, with all of the uh, attendant Issues that we saw on display on um, in on the January sixth, um, capital riot, uh, where you have a mixture of Christian symbolism, flags, language, um, all mixed uh, in this sort of uh, violent political brew, um, that is um, one of the greatest threats to our democracy. Uh, I, I also uh, Look at the environment, the degradation of the environment, um, you know, racism that and and the um, erosion of rights of marginalized peoples, um, and we, you know, have seen that with the shootings in Buffalo, um, we have seen that in Uvalde in Texas, and um, in so many other spaces. So, um, reproductive justice. Um, in terms of, of, you know, Supreme Court's decisions that are coming down. So all of these, they are all interrelated in many ways, and they are all at the forefront of the work that we need to be doing. I would also say that, uh, you know, I think religious freedom, the issue of religious freedom, um, in its real sense, in its true sense, holds up the possibility that religion and, and faith can be a galvanizing and um, connecting force. Uh, it's, it's not a divisive force. And I think that that is what we need to be working on, um, as as those of us who are working particularly on religious freedom. I mean, that, you know, the, the term religion really Gary, it's to bind up, uh, not to drive apart. And what we have seen is uh, religion, in the guise of of um, of politics, um, doing just the opposite of binding up. We're seeing it. We see it driving people apart.
0: And I think if you went back and looked uh, or listened to the answers that Welton and I both have gotten to that question. There would have been a similarity among uh, all of them, including the answer you just gave, with a particular emphasis on the religious right and what it has morphed into uh, as Christian nationalism. So, how do we get back to that constitutional value of true religious freedom that has been co opted and corrupted by the religious right? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I think that uh, that we have to do the the kind of work that Interfaith Alliance is doing and that you have been doing, which is um, holding up and reminding people of what true religious freedom really means, and um, and it and it means uh, not that it means that we do not have a uh, national religion, um, that Christianity that that America is not a Christian nation. Um, and that we have to make space for people of other religious traditions and difference of all kinds. So um, I think holding up and keeping on reminding people of what it truly is, is, um, is, is very important. And that's the kind of work that Interfaith Alliance is doing. Um, I also, you know, as a religious leader, as a, as a Presbyterian minister, um, the hope that I get and the guidance that I get often comes from my religious tradition and I'm thinking a lot these days in a time when um, when so much of what we see particularly on the right is grievance based Um, I mean we live in a a grievance kind of culture now and a fearful culture there is so much fear um, that is driving uh, driving what we see in the public arena now and um i I love the verse from my tradition uh, that says, uh, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind and so that those are the kind of words that I come back to that um are kind of a north Star when I'm feeling fearful, and I think that part of what the work that Interfaith Alliance and all of us are trying to do is not to live from a spirit of fear, um, but to live from a place of hope and love. And um, as it says in this, a sound mind.
0: <laughs> so let me lean into your preaching for a second here, Catherine, and and, and ask, ask you to talk to our listeners about what you would have each of us do in the weeks and months ahead to pursue that, that excellent charge you've just given us all.
2: Um. So um, I I think that (laughs) this is going to sound very simple, but I think probably um, breathe more, breathe more deeply. Um, Lean into whatever moral, spiritual uh, space that you've created for yourself or that you experience in community with others. potentially a space of worship or prayer or meditation um, or being out in the nature. I think this is a time that's very hard on people, um, hard on the body, hard on the spirit, hard on the mind, and that we have to exercise some level of compassion for ourselves and and others. Um, And then we need to do the work of justice. And um, that means uh, joining with, others, whether it's marching, um, whether it's signing petitions, whether it's uh, petitioning your elected officials, um, and giving money uh, to create the um, infrastructure and and network of partnerships that we need to do this work together, to do this work of justice with love together. Uh, There is uh, space for all of us to do our part and you know, I think a lot about the um, poet, Mary Oliver, uh, you know, whose phrase, you know, what are you going to do with your one precious life? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to, to sort of bring it back, you asked me why I was willing to, you know, come in as the interim president and CEO of Interfaith Alliance. Um It's it's because, you know, I'm asking what I'm going to do in in this time of seasoned life with my one precious life and uh, doing this work of religious freedom and uh, fighting for a world of love and justice where all belong. You know, that's been my calling and that continues to compel me. Um, And so I I look forward to all that uh, that's coming ahead.
0: Well, I don't think you're going to have anybody complaining that you gave them something relatively simple to do. Um, You know, as uh, if I can pull on a paraphrase of Moses in Deuteronomy, this thing is not too far from you and it's not too hard for you. It is uh, close to you. It's in your heart. It's in your mouth. And it's right where you can access it. There you go.
2: I love that that text, too. This is what you get when you put a rabbi and a minister together, right?
0: That's right. That's right. The Reverend Dr. Catherine Rhodes Henderson is the newly minted interim president at Interfaith Alliance, defending true religious freedom for all. It's hard to leave a position that's been as rewarding as this one has been for me, but it makes a huge difference to see it in such capable hands. Catherine, let me wish you every success and pledge my every cooperation. And thanks for being with us today on State of Belief Radio.
2: Thanks, Jack. Great to be with you.
0: That's all the time we have for this week's show. Your donations help keep us on the air. Information on how to donate is available at stateofbelief.com. That's stateofbelief.com. Stay up to date by subscribing to the free weekly State of Belief podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. And take a moment to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and be a part of the conversation. Social media helps connect like-minded people in conversation and company. I'd ask you to share State of Belief with just one person this week for whom you think this show might be helpful. Our producer is Ray Kirstein. State of Belief Radio is a production of Interfaith Alliance. Become a member today at interfaithalliance.org. And be sure to join us next week for more stories from the intersection of religion, government, and politics. Until then, go team. I'm Jack Moline, and that's State of Belief.
2: I think it's time we stop, children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down.